Okay. I, uh, first of all, thanks for everybody being here. We, uh, I have something to say. I wrote it down, and I'll have to just read it, because I won't be able to do it without it. Being a pastor is a call. It's not a career. It's a reorienting of self, not just a, a new service. A way of life, not a job. It's a state of being, not just a function. A permanent, lifelong commitment, not a temporary style of service. An office, not just a role. Pastor Bruzik embodies each one of these with character, integrity, and honor. On the day before his ordination, Archbishop Timothy Dolan was asked by his confessor what he looked forward to the most in becoming a pastor. He answered predictably, celebrating the Lord's Supper, pronouncing absolution, preaching, serving the parishioners, and so on. And his confessor responded, excellent, but added one thing that Dolan would never forget. He said, spend every day acknowledging that Christ made you pastor. Rejoice in it, nourish it, thank God for it, And then what you do as pastor will be all the more effective and rewarding. This simple advice struck me, and from that moment on, I do spend every day not only thanking Christ for making me pastor, but making me a pastor who gets to serve with Scott Bruzek. In a world where pastors, where the average service is three to seven years in a parish, Pastor Bruzek is utterly unique. 20 years in one congregation is special, but how Pastor Bruzek has spent those 20 years pastoring us makes him, in my opinion, the pastor par excellence. So in honor of his 20 years of service, which I think everybody knows is May 25th, or if you keep time on the liturgical calendar, Trinity Sunday, we have a gift for you, Pastor Bruzek. Now, this gift is monetary, but really there's something more fundamental. And it's permission to do something you've always wanted to do, but haven't had the chance, or maybe felt like you couldn't. Almost four years ago, you preached what I'm about to quote, but you preached it to all of us. But today, these words are for you. You preached this. Remember that no one knows you or loves you like Jesus does. You are built on that love, applied to you in word and sacrament, expressed through you in mercy and generosity and healing and patience in all things good and beautiful and true. Some days it works out. Some days it feels like you're getting skinned alive. But you keep going because that's how we will come and see. And that's how Jesus will get to know and to love your family and your friends and even your enemies, even the folks that would skin you alive by working through you. So after 20 years, is it worth it? Maybe it hurts sometimes in the short run, but the altar wall of the Sistine Chapel is all about the long run even longer than 20 years. It's about resurrection, new life, change. It's about getting your skin back forever and ever. Amen. 
It is Jesus' ultimate love you, love you back, and today it is for you. Pastor Bruzek, Jesus has used you to love us. And for all the times you've said, love ya, today, today we get to love you back. Happy 20th anniversary. And uh, you can open this later if you want, but this is a large card with everyone's name in it. From St. John. It says, thank you. And it says, love you back. Um, and then this you can open up later. But, but um, everybody, as I said before, there's uh, thank you cards in the back. On the counter, they're blank cards with an envelope. Obviously, you can use your own if you want. But, um, well, you haven't told me 25th to turn them in. Um, now, I did, I did learn something, everybody, and I think I've mentioned everybody that um, we still have adult Bible study. I still have confirmation to go to. <laughs> but um, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, the, the great high priest. Bless Pastor Bruzek. Continue to bless Pastor Bruzek with your Holy Spirit to guide him into your footsteps as he continues to give us your gifts and bless us with your presence. Bless him and bless his family and bless this community that we might continue to love and support him and most especially to listen to the word that he gives to us that we might receive your life. In your name we pray. Amen. Down for goodness sakes. Yeah, you still got Thank you. Yeah, that's right. There's almost anything I say would ruin that, I think. So that was very, uh, very kind. I thought that you, uh, I actually hadn't occurred to me for a while. So, and then I thought it might be the 25th of May. So that made me nervous. But. Been an interesting, it's been an interesting run. There's no doubt about that. Thanks for sticking with it, all of you. And, um, yeah, I mean, let's see what happens next, right? But you're very kind. Thank you, thank you very much. It has been, it doesn't seem like it's been very long, so that's a frightening uh, piece as well, right? And so especially to the guys I work with. I mean, it's, um, if, you were, if you came around Thursday night, uh, I talked to a couple of guys about this, about how wonderful um, the guys I work with are. So... We're very fortunate people. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's pray and see if we can do anything here. All right. So, um, in these days after Easter, it was really nice this morning. It was interesting how loud the kids were, and then they weren't. It's amazing how they can come to the exact right spot and uh, you know at the Eucharist and be calm. All right, here we go. Almighty and everlasting God, hear the prayer of your church, which waits for you and begs that you grant it the splendor of your glory. Shine upon us and illumine our hearts. Let us live as your reborn children. 
Prepare us by your grace to receive your Holy Spirit. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, well, I mean, that's, that whole introduction sort of makes it interesting, you know, what we pick up today, this whole notion of, I believe, in the one holy Catholic apostolic church, which um, I had a sterner beginning, but now I have to, you know, what I was going to say is, really, you want me to believe in you? But now I have to rethink the whole introduction. <laughs> Apparently, that would be a good idea. So, um, and you know, you believe in me too. I mean, what in the world could that mean? Uh, you know, you're nice people, all that, but uh, it's got to make anybody a little bit nervous. So I give you this um, from C. C.D.F. Mole, great New Testament scholar uh, from Cambridge. And, uh, you know, he has this very interesting line where he says, Christ is the atmosphere in which we live. And if you want to think about what it means to be the church, and uh, what it means to be together as one group. You might think about that. Christ is the atmosphere in which we live. You just kind of, you think about what that would mean. We breathe in, you know, we swim through it. Um, It colors all that we see. Christ is the atmosphere in which we live. It's such a nice thing. So um, our joy, our peace, our actions, our life, and our endurance together, right, is the communion of saints, is what it is because of who Christ is because of, of what the Holy Trinity has done. You remember long ago we started with this. I was trying to convince you that the creed wasn't some dusty, boring old thing, but that the creed was you know, this wonderful thing that expressed the tender mercy of Christ toward you. It's where Christ explains his heart. Right? He opens his heart, and we talked about you know, that famous picture where Jesus' heart is exposed and it bleeds for you, but he glows. And, you know, he pulls you into that, and he says, this is my Father, and this is my Spirit, and these are your brothers and sisters, and this is how it all works. Well, so, you know, trust and confidence and growth and love um, with God and with each other. Um, It's not just about believing in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We say, you will say, if you come to the Eucharist this morning, I believe in the church, Right? I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Church. It's the weirdest thing to say. But um, if you can do a little Greek, that can save you. So I'm right at point five. The Nicene Creed actually doesn't say we believe in the Church. It actually says we believe the Church, which in a sense uh, is, is much cleaner and more precise. We believe the Church. If you look in... Uh, the Latin, you know, you get, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, and the communion of saints. That's from the Apostles' Creed. So, you know, you have these parallel creeds going. But I believe in the church, or I believe in the communion of saints. I've just turned the page. And so, um, communio sanctorum can mean a couple of things. It can mean we share things, right? We share things among us. Or it can mean we share holy things. And it might be best to kind of think of it both ways, that we, the baptized, you know, we share in that holiness, we, the baptized, and then we share in the Eucharist. And, you know, real honestly, if you can get baptism in the Eucharist right, everything else comes along. Um, Even preaching, I was talking to the vicar this morning, he's struggling with his sermon a little bit, which is not uncommon for vicars. And one of the great shocks when vicars go out is they suddenly have to preach every week. If if you're alone, you have 70 sermons to write your first year. 
which is just sort of a, you know, you can hardly take it, uh, between Lent and Advent and Christmas and Easter and everything extra. It's quite a, it's quite a, a, a reality check. But, you know, one of the things I said to try to comfort him this morning was, um, which I always say to the vicars, which is, you know, you can give a bad sermon, but you can't give a bad supper, right? If you just play by the book, just play by the book, 2,000 years of church history, just play by the book, and you can't screw it up. It's impossible to screw it up. Well, the creed says that, you know. I believe in the church. I believe the church. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe the communion of saints. All that stuff runs together. You can't sort of pull the pieces apart. God makes us holy people, and we share in holy things. We share in holy things, so we become a holy people, right? We're holy communion. We are a holy communion. We receive holy communion. These things can't be pulled apart. And so there is a very real way in which you can say, um, the church is a community in which I trust. You know, the the fullest stretch is um, when I say, I trust you and you trust me. In a way, everything we've done since the beginning, uh, you know, since the beginning of the year was to try to get you to trust God, that God is trustable. You know, I, you remember I started by saying, here's a reason for the creed. The creed provides us some mercy. The creed provides us a rule for measuring what's right and wrong. The creed shapes us, right? But now we come to the end, and the great benefit of this is we can say not only I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can say I believe in you and you believe in me. Now, of course, if you want to you know, paint that in the wrong way, if somebody wants to be offended by that, it's, it's, believe me, we do much more offensive things than that around here. But... Um, you know, what does it mean? It's sort of the full extent. In the same way it means, what does it mean when, when Paul says you're the body of Christ? What does that mean? Right? It means you're actually the body of Christ. It means I can believe in you. So um, we should probably take that seriously. One of the great things about St. John, essentially now, of course, all this stuff is flashing through my head. One of the, you know, one of the great things about um, St. John, you know, number six, the first point. This makes us unlike any human community. I've often said to you, kind of, the, kind of the nicest thing I can say to you is, um, you're the church I always wanted to belong to, right? I mean, you, th- you think to yourself, all the places you've been, all the churches, you're like, yeah, you're the church I've always wanted to be. It is uh, a miracle, right? So you sort of pull this all together now, and you look at this God who's tender with us, and only once you're good. And I think that's the hard thing for us to remember, especially when we struggle. The epistle is so interesting today when it says, this is the grace of God, that you suffer unjustly. Right? Watch the epistle. Take it home. Take a look at that. The very first line of the epistle. This is the, gracious, this is the grace of God, that you suffer unjustly. You have to have seen by now. You've seen the Coptic priest who spoke after the bombings at Easter. You've seen this, right? If not, Google it up, YouTube. He stands... And he looks into the camera and he says, thank you so much for killing us. Kill us again. And it was interesting because the um, commentator on Egyptian news, they showed this on the news apparently, and there was this long pause and he said, the cops are made of iron, right? You've killed us, kill us again. You shorten our journey home. Jesus suffered and now we suffer. You've killed us, kill us again. Right? I mean, it takes some something to say that. Right? It, takes a lo- it takes a great trust in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And it takes um, a great trust in the community around you that they'll support you, right? So come what may, you're in God's hands. I'm giving you this now at the bottom of eight. Um, Even when we go bad, right? Even when we go bad, this church still comes to get us. This wonderful um, piece that's under number eight from Matthew 18, which is really how the church should work. You know, if your brother offends you, go to him. Go to him alone. Go to him and tell him how much you've been hurt. Go to him and tell him you love him. Go and tell him that you want him back. And if that doesn't work, take somebody very kind and gentle, kinder and gentler than you. And you go together and you say, we, we love you and this isn't how Christians act and we want to forgive you and we want to live in forgiveness. We'd like to be a community, right? And then the last thing it says, you know, if that doesn't work, then you should get some more people to love them, to treat them like a tax collector and sinner. How does Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? Jesus goes to them, he sits down with them, he eats with them. He welcomes them into his family. So often this has been the, the text in the church that's been used for excommunication. As the, but I see it, um, of course it could be that, but it pushed in one direction. But push it in the other direction. And it is, uh, it is a great argument for never letting go of anyone and never giving up, right? Your kids, my kids, um, your parents, your in-laws, your sister, your brother, people who perhaps have let you down, perhaps have left the faith, right? Um, uh, I was at a, I rarely go out on Saturday nights. So I was at a birthday party for an old friend last night in Chicago. And um, you know, several things happened there. You know, I look up and my wife is dancing across the floor with the lead singer from the band. <laughs> I don't get out. My, 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 you know, my inadequacy as a husband washes over me. There's video evidence. Uh, sure, I, I sent it to my children, and, I, and only, they will do with it as they will. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I sort of I think to myself, you know, all these folks who, from all different, very accomplished people, you know, this is a friend's 60th birthday party, um, very accomplished people. And I think to myself, you know, What's making all these people tick? There's 100 people in this room. What's making them? You know, I would love to talk to them individually. People I hadn't seen for 30 years. Um, you know, it was like I'd seen them yesterday, and things just kind of pick up. It's a wonderful experience. But I think, too, um, one thing was it was so interesting because all pretense was dropped. You know, people that had cancer, people that had children die, people that had children who, you know, had struggled, people had struggled in their own lives, moved around. They're, but they're still very, I mean, if you looked at this group, you would say, you know, what a remarkable group of people. You know, they're all university professors and doctors and nurses and administrators and, and you know, bankers, and they're remarkable people. And you think to themselves, you know, you know, you had, as Jesus said, you have one thing lacking, right? Go and sell all that you have and join the communion of saints. So um, it's really incumbent on, on you and I, especially uh, when we think about um, these words from First Peter, where he says, hey, you know what's going to happen here? You know, everything is going um, to disappear. So what's really important is that you use whatever gifts you have and um, um, you bring it all to bear the church. I've been thinking to myself, do you remember the bridge to nowhere? You remember that tax thing, bridge to nowhere? I think it's in Alaska. Is that right? Do you know that? Is that where it is, Alaska? Yeah. You know what I've been thinking about, Marge? You can maybe lead this. A cap campaign to nowhere. 
So I've been thinking to myself, like, there's nothing we really need. And, and I thought, you know, but I was thinking, you should just give me a couple of million bucks. Actually, this is probably a good morning to ask. Because uh, I, was, I was thinking to myself, you know, things are kind of working out, and there, lots of people are joining them, giving is strong, and there's things. But the governing board has this list of things to do, but they seem to be working out. I was thinking, but we haven't really talked about, you know, I was thinking, just, you know, just tuck this aside. If any of you want to write big checks afterward, let me know, okay? Because you know what happened last time the stock market got this high, right? You know what happened? I gave you a little speech, and I said, you can give it to the Lord, or the Lord gives and he takes away. What happens? Eight, nine, then you wish you would have given it to us, right? You gave it to a bunch of guys on Wall Street who were short everything. Go ahead. We're buying. You're selling. All right, here we go. I'm turning the page. You know, but what's happened is, and we've done this before, is the Lord, you know, one of the things the Lord does when he baptizes you is he gives everybody a gift, right? Everybody has a gift, Um the diversity of, of gifts, you know. Some of us have different gifts, um, but as this says at the bottom under, um, you know, as it says uh, under, under, I was kind of looking at 10 and going beyond. Nobody is left in isolation. Everybody is pulled in. You're not just pulled in for nothing. You're actually pulled in to, to have a good gift. What's interesting, um, you know, maybe I can, you know, I don't want to, well, I talk too much about other people, and then they don't talk to me anymore, so I lose my edge. But um, one of the things I always notice when people struggle, and this is almost always true, we've talked about this before, is that it's always worse than isolation. This is the truest particularly for pastors. Pastors, it's easily, easily, easy for pastors to get isolated, get lonely. Um, we have a run of young pastors through here now or come back. They'll visit us. They'll call us. You know, we have a run of young guys now. Since you've been gracious enough to host this group that now is growing, we have people calling us asking if they can come. You know, and when Kleine comes in the fall, we host this group of guys. It's often guys that have been struggling. It's often guys who've recovered from struggle. or it's, uh, um, But it's guys who are happy not to be alone. But now we have guys calling us and saying, and the governing board this year for the first time, and as, you know, put a little money in the budget for this. It should be fun. But, um, and this is true for you. Um, Pornography, drug abuse, suicide, what, you know, these things, what happens? It happens when you're alone, right? Where Satan can kind of kind of weed you out and pick you off, where you get sort of run away from the herd, from the communion of saints. And when that happens, um, everything really goes bad. On the other side, and you always have to mention this, um, it's interesting, uh, uh, you know, we sort of said 10 years ago, right, there was so much um, trouble with, Pastors abusing children primarily, and, you know, we talked about that, what a horrible thing that was. And so we sort of made this pledge, I don't know, that we just wouldn't be alone with women or children, right? And and I think it's still a good pledge, although what's interesting is now, um, uh, you know, some women find that horribly unfair. You know, the vice president doesn't meet with women except his wife. Do you know this, right? But it's like, and this is kind of interesting, you have to kind of rethink it because a lot of women... Honest women have said, hey, that means I never get a face-to-face with a guy who influences a lot of policy. And so there was kind of this rage against and kind of a double standard. So you, 10 years ago, it was like, don't be alone. Now it's like, don't not be alone. And you, you kind of go, I don't quite know what to do. But, um, you know, the truth is, in the church, when something goes bad, that's the worst thing. And, you know, the abuse of a child is, to, to lose a child or have your child hurt is is is. That's the worst, right? Because everything is upside down when that happens. 
to have that happen in the church by a pastor is there's nothing worse, right? It's reprehensible. Because this is a place that it should be filled with angels and it gets filled with demons and everything goes um, horribly, horribly wrong then. So, um, you know, isolation in any sense is where we, where we stumble and fall. The church's remedy for this, of course, is to draw us all together, right? To put us all together. And the best part of that togetherness is when I can look at you and say, I trust you. Um, and when, you know, you can say to me, I trust you. We do have to be careful with this. Um, you know, this can happen where people, you know, this kind of famous thing where people are afraid to give their bosses bad news, right? So in some cases here, sometimes people are so careful with us now that um, sometimes they don't let us know if, you know, if we're, you know, they maybe think we're moving in the wrong direction. You should always feel free to do that. That's a way of loving people is to help them, to correct them gently, right, and bump and nudge with a question mark, right, rather than a period. What are you thinking about when you try this, or why would that make sense for us, or have you ever thought about maybe we should, right? So when you start to keep everybody together, things actually work. I'm now at the bottom of 10. I'm under 10 at the bottom of that page because we actually believe that Everybody has a gift here, and this is verse 10, so right at the bottom of the page. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. So you each have a gift, and and you can think about community in this way. One of the things, um, it's not just about you belonging. So your first thing is to sort of wrap your arms around other people here, regardless of who they are and what they've been through. You know, in a means that you're able to take it, Right? But also, what you always think about the person next to you is that you're trying to nourish their gift. I'm always nervous about people who self-present. This is a true story. Right after I, Soon after I came to St. John, there was a person um, of strong will. Just one? I'm only going to tell you about one. Who started taking piano lessons. This person was horrible. But they nevertheless had a divine vision and came to me and said, Pastor, I've started taking piano lessons, and it is the Lord's will that I begin to play the prelude and the postlude. (laughs) And I said, hey, you want to just play a little something for me? And then it was kind of like that thing where you're going, (laughs) right? So in some ways, one of the great things, you know that a community is working when other people discover your gifts, right? When somebody says, hey, maybe you should be an elder, maybe you should teach Sunday school, or maybe you should, it's harder to say to somebody, maybe you shouldn't play the prelude and cut attendance by 23%. You probably shouldn't do that, right? So that's not, so everybody has gifts. But one of the interesting things about a community is, right, these gifts are discovered together in the communion of saints. So now you see how rich this becomes. So the Lord pulls you into the community by baptizing you, and everyone embraces you, strengths and weaknesses, right? And when weaknesses get the best of us, we know how to fix that. I love you, love you back. I still love you. You're mine. Come back, Right? But even beyond then that basic thing, which is frankly what most people who come through the door are looking for here, that's not the end. You do actually occasionally need the capital campaign to nowhere because we have to sort of say, even if it's not pressing, you know, 
There is a way that Christians live. You heard it in the, in the Acts reading, the first reading for today. What? That's the basic reading from how we go St. John. When you just look at it, they devoted themselves to what? Christ, Scripture, prayer. So just look at them. They preached Christ. They devoted themselves, it says, to prayer. And they were still going to temple morning and evening. To the apostles' teaching, which come into your hands as the Scripture. To, um, they sold everything and dropped it at the apostles' feet. Right? They um, did miraculous things. People looked at them and said, I want to be like that. That was the winsome witness. And the things that they were doing were merciful things. Right? They were caring for other people and caring for each other. So it's easy. Christ, Scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, right? And they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. Christ, Scripture, prayer, Eucharist, tithing and alms, a thorough mercy and a winsome witness. It's right there. It's in the text today. So you, get the, you have these two gorgeous texts in advance of the Good Shepherd, which kind of define everything that you are. It's really um, quite spectacular. So your freedom is to offer your gifts appropriately, right? So that we then, you know, all grow together. You know, one of the great ones, um, I, feel like, I feel like, you know, we don't talk about money enough anymore because you've been so blasted faithful. And so, uh, uh, I, I don't know, we should spend some money so I could talk to you. But, I mean, you look at this, you look at this, you didn't think that was funny. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> what happened inside. Uh, you know, the, you know, this thing with the Macedonians and their poor and, uh, the people in Jerusalem, though, are poor, like starving to death poor. And then Paul says, hey, you know, uh, you don't have a lot of money, but way to come through, right? Because Jerusalem is just, you know, that's just the end of them. So you may be poor, but you know what? You sort of, you sort of upped your game, and you realize that you were um, part of this. For in a severe test of affliction, from their abundance and their extreme poverty, They've overflowed into wealth of generosity. How do people do that? Who are suffering and poor, how do they do that? Well, I don't know. You just find a way. It's like having kids. You know, people who sit around and wonder how they're going to pay for college are never going to have kids, right? If you sit around, if you calculate the cost of a kid, believe me, the Zellers and the Strutzels would have stopped a long time ago, <laughs> right? Think about that, right? So, no, you just have them because one's as cute as the next, right? And they're just, you know, nothing makes you happier than, you know, like them, them walking through the door in the morning. It's just fabulous, right? So, um, you know, this whole thing about, we've done so many of these texts. I turn the page, but excel in everything. Be the best, right? Philippians, be the best. Be mature. Be obedient. Be loving. Be the best. Um, this is my prayer for you, that you'd be the best. It's a great translation in the, in the first chapter of Philippians. This is what I want, that you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness in our love for you. Um, and this isn't a command. You shouldn't think I'm pushing you around. This is what Christians do, right? This is because we're part of the community. What's kind of fun about this is you know so much of this. I mean, occasionally we all need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded who we are. You remember, I mean, I can remember I'm dropping my kids off at various things over the course of my life saying, you know, hey, remember who you are, right? Which means remember your baptizers, remember we're different, you know. Um, we were always the parents who checked to see that the parents were home at the parties in high school. Made us undyingly popular with our children. <laughs> they loved that. When we just like, hey, I'd like to meet the parents, Right. Occasionally, there were some friends then that we would drive up, and I'd say, are there parents in this house? Don't lie to me. I'm a pastor. Are there parents in that house? <laughs> yeah, the parents are home. I'm like, 
if I go check, they're going to be there, right? I'm like, okay, then I'm not going to check, but, right? So a well-functioning Christian community is going to be one in which everyone is working steadily to release the gifts of others, right? One of the joys of that is you don't all have to be the same. We do look pretty much the same. There's some advantages in being the same, which is we've not only you know, agreed on the rope, we've agreed on which end we're pulling, right? Which is kind of nice. We can get a lot done. We notice this especially when we go to pastor's conferences. We always come back, kind of heave a sigh of relief. Oh, this is great. At the pastor's conference, Nelson planned it and Bukes preached, right? So one is it was spectacular. Pastor Nelson did a great job of putting it all together. And then Bukes preached for the morning, and it was phenomenal. It was a sermon that I'd heard before. It was the one about <sighs> Abraham hates Isaac like the father hates the son. Do you remember this sermon? It was a genius sermon. And it's, it was uncomfortably brilliant to listen to because we don't talk like that, right? That the father hates the son, and Abraham hated Isaac, and what does that mean? And um, now you have to remember... This is sort of Pastor Buke's inaugural dealio. So he gets up and he preaches the sermon in the morning and he chants the matins and it was gorgeous. Before he could sit down, and this has been, you know, it's one of the bad things about our district. It happened to me too. Some guy, probably 55, before he could sit down, a guy comes to him and he starts to haze him, tries to shame him. Now, if you were going to shame Pastor Bukes, there's probably ways to do it. But what's the one thing you wouldn't shame him on? Anybody know? Fourth-year Greek award boy at the seminary? <laughs> this guy puts a piece of paper down, and he goes, you have your Greek wrong. And, I mean, he was so, like, he was so... And this guy, I mean, the thing is going on. He's, he's going like this. He's lecturing Bukes like this, like... Bukes is just like this, this, like this. And all of a sudden, he goes... It's an accusative, not a dative. It means to hate. Puts it down. It's like... <laughs> But you see, I mean, the, 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 what the guy should have said is, that was brilliant, and I never heard anything like that before, which it was. It was brilliant. I mean, I'd heard that before, and it was, it was as brilliant. Pastor said, it was better the second time, which you rarely can say about a sermon. It was better the second time, right? So you go, I mean, it was just so, like, what, what should happen, you know, is that somebody should say, you're a genius, which is, in fact, the case, Right. So we have to be careful. Um, you know, we're a lot the same. Our skin color is a lot the same. You know, our politics are probably, you know, probably if you put us on a chart of America, they'd kind of be skewed in one direction. You know, incomes, our, our living and all. Well, what we have to be careful is not to, not to value those things more highly than we ought, which is, you know what? You've got to have a little room for quirky people. So we'll, we'll sort of take anybody who, and this is our basic pastoral line, if you're willing to come under our care, we'll care for you, right? And you have to be that way too. You have to see in people who don't look like you, don't think like you, maybe don't speak like you, you have to see in them that God has given them a gift for the common good. And when you see them, you respect them not only for the dignity of a human person, but of someone who will come to baptism or who's been baptized, and then more who's had the Holy Eucharist put into them, so you look at them as my brother or my sister, but then beyond that, and this is the next mature thing for you to do, in the communion of saints, which is, is that you look into them and you say, you help them flourish for the good of the community. 
Um, you know, a couple of guys in the last month or so I've talked to, a couple of people I've talked to who have basically said, you know what your spiritual gift is? Your spiritual gift is making a lot of money and giving it to St. John. <laughs> There's probably some other you like that, too. I'd like to meet you. But, see, man, you've got to loosen up, man. You've really got to loosen up. Come on, we know each other well enough for this. And, but, I, but, you know, people have different... Some people have spiritual... Like Peter, when Peter, you know, I think... I think I want to, I've gone to the, to the seventh level of heaven when Peter ch- chants the Latin in the offertory as the altar's being prepared. That feels to me like uh, I've left, you know, normal consciousness. You know, that ancient Gregorian bit or, you know, that it just, come, the chant tones, this, the, it just sort of like, it just can hardly, you can hardly, you, how could you be more alive, right? That's his gift. His gift is to chant that tone. Right? You all have gifts like that. But one of the things that will always make you better and better and then more trustworthy is that you try to imagine what this is like to try to pull the gifts out of another person. You, you, you all know this, and you would know this outside the church. If you've ever tutored a child who succeeded, or you've given somebody a job recommendation that really worked out, they were all you said they were, and the person who gave them the job is so grateful. You know, things like that. You know, that's kind of the next step, that you not only recognize people for their dignity, for their baptism, for the Eucharist, but push on to find in them the gift that's given for the common good, right? That's why you can get to the end of the story and say, of course I believe in, and I would prefer this first. You know, what I prefer personally is the Greek dual form in the Apostles' Creed, which reads then, I believe in the holy things. It's a dual form. So Greek has a singular, you could ask Bukes, a dual and a plural. What's well, in the dual form? I believe in the, it'd be very hard to make it like persons first. In the dual form, it looks like I believe in the holy ones, the holy things. There's two of them. What are they? The body and the blood. But of course, we know from 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, it's the body and blood that makes us right? That makes us the church. So I believe in the holy things, the body and the blood. I believe in what the holy things do. They make you holy. I believe in the holy communion, that you participate in this body and blood. And I believe that through that body and blood, you become one. That's what Paul uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We share one loaf, so we're one body. But you have to push beyond that. So it's baptism, and it's Eucharist, and it's Love, and it's the common good. You should look around and not just see in other people they're baptized. Look around and see. It's not just that they went to the Holy Supper. It's not just that they bear the wounds of Christ in their body. Even beyond that, it's what gift do they have for the common good? See, it's not just enough for you to say, I've got to find my gift and express it, which is the way it's always been done. Let's take an inventory of what my gifts are. You know where you know your gifts? When somebody else says to you, you are the most loving person. You are the most generous person. You're the kindest person. You speak so clearly. You teach so well, right? That your kids are getting Bukes and Nelson on a Sunday morning. You should fall down and kiss their feet. Those guys are geniuses, and it's not just the donuts. Your kids actually want to come and see them, right? So part of what's happening is that you will look at other people and try to pull out of them, um, you know, what good is in them. Now, um, it's not always going to work out. Right, um, you know, I think one of the things I've learned over the years, I find this. I find this. Um, I've often said to you that 
my great shock um, in being a pastor was um, how horrible people were, but far beyond that is how horrible pastors were. I mean, the worst people I've ever met in the world are pastors. And the worst, worst people are pastors who are university professors. Sorry, Arthur, if you're here. Uh, and here's the reason why. Because they spend all day studying evil, and then when they need to be evil, they're really good at it. It's amazing, right? Um, uh, I keep, uh, go read about Duke and their divinity school, and there's an old Old Testament man who's being pushed out because um, he's challenged some of the um, things that make other people you know, not feel quite safe, which is not quite the same as being logical. By the way, um, you should get full college credit for the editorial in the middle of the page yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. You probably have to read it nine times, but it's a philosopher's definition of truth in a, in a, in a third of a page. It's a genius that over the course of history, I'll just you know, kind of sum it for you. Over the course of history, you know, truth has been said to be consensus. You know, we all agree on this. Truth has been said to be correspondence. I named this, and we call this a stand, right? Truth has been what's pragmatic, once what works. But then he you know, sort of slashes and burns the whole notion of what people are talking about right now as truth as just being basically preference. You know, truth is just what, I, what makes me feel good. And by the way, that very quickly favors the majority, and then very quickly, an immoral majority, very quickly goes to um, oppression and genocide. You know, the, the thing about where, uh, you know, the totalitarian states always take a moment out of the revolution to kill everybody who disagrees with them, right? Think about that next time you vote, right? Every totalitarian state has taken time out for genocide, one way or another, this is why these things are so important. Anyway, we sort of promised that we're going to be on a new schedule, um, which is I'm supposed to end around 42 or 43. I have two pages left. If I talk really fast, I can do it. <laughs> By the way, you haven't had any announcements said, since Easter, and nobody has said one word to me. <laughs> yeah, but you said that because your hair was still wet and you wanted to be a little bit late. <laughs> Sorry. Um, besides, besides Kirby, nobody has said anything about the announcements. Look to the life. T- what happens with the announcements is people keep adding them in, and suddenly we look at the watch. We started at thirty-eight, right? Just we're just let's just let's just give it a go. Look at the screens. Read life together. Check the website. In a little while, you're going to start getting an email from Pastor Bukes that's going to give you the 10-day schedule, and we may even send you a text when something is um, coming up. By the way, you guys who came to what was ostensibly uh, Thursday night beer and Bible study, yeah, sorry we didn't get to the Bible study. Uh, we were rethinking the title, not the content. Because <laughs> what was interesting is all the pastors talking, we all got about three or four really good conversations in with people that we normally see, love, but don't get to talk to. So it was basically, I mean, the whole thing was born out of a thing of, Pastor, can we talk about this? Pastor, can we talk about this? Hey, if we got this together. But, uh, you know, I don't know where that's going to happen. Um, give us another chance on the first Thursday of June, okay? Um, your first beer is on us. 
And come on, if that's not the communion of saints, I do not know what is, okay? <laughs> so there you go. Um, you know what? Uh, so I've kind of pushed you through 14 to 50. It goes without saying that all of the things that can so infect a church, and I really mean it. I mean, y'all are the church I always wanted to be part of, right? Um, you know, I can see the end of my career now. But three guys at the beer and Bible study thing asked me when I was going to retire. First time, it was kind of interesting. The second time, I was like, hmm. Third time, I'm thinking, Nelson Bukes pushing? What's going? <laughs> you know, feel a little nervous by the end of it myself. But, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but remember that, uh, and I guess I would point you to when you walk in today, kind of, gosh, we got, everything got backwards with the vid. I, did, I had so many information to tell you. So there's a bunch of stuff happening Little stuff all over the place, but among them is we actually are trying to finish the sanctuary. We're working on some painting that didn't get done, the microphones didn't get done, the music that didn't get done, the organ. All the pieces are in the balcony. That means the guy can drop dead, no shame on him, but we could put it together like a jigsaw puzzle now if we had to. Up until now, I've been praying for that guy's health every day. Because if, that, if, he, I mean, if he drops dead, we're like, we don't, we don't even know where the pieces are, right? All the pieces are now in the, I'm not giving you any timeline, but I would think you'll get to sing, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel to your pipe organ. So this year, I would hope. But it's, it's true? Only Nate would know this. Right. There, how many pipes are there total? 2001. We're missing eight, but Nate knows that eight are missing. It's good. What? Okay, so it should all be good. Anyway, to just sort of sum this up, it's 16. Oh, I'll get, I'll get on my soapbox one more time. Um, you know, uh, this is what it means to be the church. We're one because we share in one Lord with faith, one baptism, right? We're holy because the holy things have touched us. So one, holy. Now, here's the thing. It's really, it's really dorky that Lutherans say Christian. I mean, the whole world says Catholic. Catholic is the word. Lutherans have always said, hey, we're the true, like, you know, we say, you know, there was Jesus, and there were the 12 apostles, and there were the church fathers, and there are some wrong turns, but Lutherans are kind of the straight line. But we, then we stop saying Catholic, which is the word, small c, universal. This is roughly akin to when you go to, go to a church and the pastor thinks you're so stupid, he has to tell you to stand up, sit down, and open your hymnal to page 435, right? You're very sophisticated people. You know the difference between a big C Catholic, right, which is St. Mike's, and a small C Catholic, which is universal. Why we continue to say, you know, I believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. People just look at us like, there couldn't be, what could be more sectarian? It's the most ironic thing. We, do, we show ourselves to be sectarian by choosing a new word for the word universal. Duh! Right? Someday you may come after there are no announcements, and it may just say Catholic, and you'll know why. This will come roughly about the time we start to kiss the altar. Good morning. Good morning, Jesus. Goodbye. Right? So hold on to your seats, all right? It's always important. If you're married, you do this. When your wife likes you, you do stuff. You told me that you like me. Now's my chance. Right? Right? So Luther, 17, the Lord gathers his people, he gives out his gifts, and we believe in the Holy Trinity, that those gifts, you know, make of us what they will. And so this wonderful thing where I can say, you know, things can have a double meaning. I can say, I believe in the communion of saints, which means I believe in the Holy Eucharist that comes after Holy Baptism, 
that makes us one body and gives us one name. And so you're more my family than people who share my DNA. You're more my family than people who share my DNA. If Jesus is really the number one factor in life, to be baptized with you, you're more my family than people who share my DNA. It's great if people who share my DNA are also baptized. But to, be, to, to share that is the highest level of thing, right? So what you should come is um, every week and you should say, man, this is great, right? Jesus is tender with me, makes me part of his family, gives me his gifts, gives me you. My job is to find the gifts in you and let them flourish, bump and nudge them so they work for the whole group together. And here's the thing. You know what's so interesting? Last thing. Um, We've had a run of people who come through the door and they see you and they want to be you, but they think they're going to be you by doing what they did at their last church, which is impossible. Because if you do what you did at your last church, that's the church you become, right? So what's so interesting is we say to people, hey, you know, they say, what, how do we become members? We just simply say in a line, you come under our care. <laughs> Which means, of course, you know, a long catechumenate and a, a devotion to the Eucharist and loving each And then people are like, I got my Missouri Senate member card, card right here. And then we always like this, we, we get kind of close to it like this, and we go, <laughs> expired. <laughs> But you could be invited back in, and we would love to help you. So, you know, when you hear this, I just have to say to you, you know, you are what you are because you've embraced a particular thing. You've embraced the love of Christ. You've been given to, and you've matured to the point where you look at you. Hold on. Just hold on. If, in the immortal words of immortal Pastor Eifert, I get hit by a Budweiser beer truck on the way home today, you just keep going, right? You just keep going. You just keep going. Communion say, you just keep going. Just keep going, Okay. Thanks for the last 20 years. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Put some money in the basket for Grace School. Read your announcements off the screen. Come back next week to hear the Warners, who are missionaries to Spain, whom you've helped start and support. And the next week is the first of two annual voters' meetings. That's the info meeting. All right, love you. <laughs>